0: Hey, we are in week two of So What's Next? The whole point of this series is you believe you've accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, so what happens between now and when you die? Kind of the whole point of this. And a lot of people are terribly confused as to what they're supposed to do once they accept Christ. Are they supposed to sell everything? Are they supposed to go to church every day? Are they? I mean, what are they? There's a lot of information in God's word that people kind of look at and kind of piecemeal and think, "Wow, man, that's a lot of stuff I got to do." Wee, maybe not today. <laughs> maybe I'll try again. Maybe next week. Um, so what's next? And this morning we're going we're to talk about a second step. And that first step is, is um, making it a habit of walking beside God. For a while, you've walked beside people in your life and they've, you'd be, if you were honest, they have colored your life, they've affected your life, the people that you've decided to walk beside, it might be a spouse, it might be an ex-friend, right, and you've decided, I don't want to go that direction anymore, so you parted ways. Um, This morning, we're going to look at how do we find freedom, and there's a surprising answer. we want to go toward the supernatural, we want to go toward the amazing, but God's got an incredibly simple, really simple answer for this next step. Once you, once you start spending time hanging out with him and you discover that he actually does love you, um, what people told you about him were not correct, he's full of grace, full of mercy, and he just, he just wants to love you and he, he wants to have a relationship with you. Uh, some of you might have seen the film Braveheart. Raise your hand just just so I'll know if this thing's going to land with a thud or an explosion. All right, so Braveheart. This was back in the day when Mel Gibson was still fairly popular before he did a bunch of really dumb things. Um, and in the movie, he is uh, William Wallace, Late 13th century, um, the first war of Scottish independence against King Edward I. And if you can picture the screen, on one side of the valley, you've got King Edward's army, a professional army, well-armed, well-trained, massive army. And on the other side of this valley, you've got the Scots. And they're like armed with sticks and pitchforks. And there's not that many of them. And, and, And William... Is, is looking at the two sides, and he's he's riding his horse up and down the line. He's he's, he's trying to like, um, what am I going to say to this little tiny ragtag band of men? They're probably going to get demolished today by this huge professional army. What do I say? So he's riding up and down, and he, he calls out, "What will you do?" Anybody know what the answer was? We'll, we'll run. <laughs> We'll run. That's what we're going to do. Um, and William Wallace responds, "Run and you will live. Run and you will live." There's truth to that statement. Every one of you who have ever been a soldier, or probably a few people in this room. Maybe some of you were once an, an addict, or maybe maybe you just have issues in your life that you've just been been battling. Right? You've just been battling day in and day out. William Walsh, what he said was true. You can run and you will will live another day. But every time we run from the fight and every time we give in, every time we admit defeat, every time we rehearse the story, you know, the one that we tell over and over, we tell ourselves over and over in our minds that we're not worthy, we're not this and we're not that. Every time we go down that road and we kind of give in, we do live another day. And that's exactly what the enemy of your soul wants you to believe that you'll live another day. But that's not the whole truth. That's only a partial truth. And Jesus knows this. The enemy of your soul knows this. And if you've been battling an issue, an ongoing something in your life, you know this is true also. You'll live um, at least for a while. You will, you'll live for a, but but that leaves you enslaved, right? Nothing got accomplished. You just ran. My way of running, I'll be honest with you, when I get stressed out, I take a nap. Everything seems to go away when I take a nap. It's it's the coolest thing in the world. run and you'll live at least for a while but again that leaves us enslaved to our fears and our anxieties and all our old wounds and all the hang-ups and destructive attitudes that we're trying to gain mastery over and again again this is exactly what the evil one wants this is exactly where he wants you now my guess is you will agree to this everybody wants to be free everybody loves freedom right nobody doesn't like freedom nobody hey i want to be chained up right that, that's just kind of silly on the face of it um, we all want to be free. We all want to choose for ourselves where we want to do, where we want to go, how we want to live our lives. And the fact of the matter is God put that longing in us. That was a gift from your heavenly father. But the enemy of our souls wants us to use that freedom to run and cower, to admit defeat, to rehearse that story. Hey, I'm, a, I'm, I'm powerless and this is way beyond my control. This is a spiritual thing and I'm just me. And I, I, all I can do is hunker down and, and just hope for the best. But here's what we learned last week. Listen to the God who knows you, right? Who wants to be known and who wants you to know that he's got a plan. That's the first step of the question. So what's next? Get to know your heavenly father. And as you begin to walk with him, as you begin to spend time in his word, listening to him um, daily basis, um, we move on to that next step, right? Allowing his power to transform us. So we've been saved, but we've been saved for a purpose, And in our current state, we're not much good. We're saved, but we're still kind of a mess. We're not very useful. We're a beat-up tool in the toolbox that got saved from the trash heap. But God's going to refurbish us, right? He's going to make a brand-new tool out of us, something valuable. Now, maybe you're here thinking today, hey, you know, I'll give it another shot. But I'm fairly certain God can't do anything with my life. It's spun so far out of control. You know, I, I, I'll hang on by my teeth, but I don't think anything special is waiting for me because I've made wrong choice after wrong choice after wrong choice. And my guess is my Heavenly Father is really kind of getting frustrated with me and maybe fed up just a little bit. He's still going to save me, but he's kind of thinking I'm wasting my time with this one. You ever get that feeling? Like maybe God's wasting his time with me. I never make the right decisions. Lord, why do you keep loving me? Why do you keep loving me? Again, Jeremiah wrote to the exiles in Babylon. They were wondering if God still had a vision for them. Maybe their life had spun, what they had done, their idolatry and everything they had done wrong, maybe that, the things had spun too far out of control and God simply has nothing left for them. This is what Jeremiah, this is the words of God through the word, through Jeremiah to the people in exile. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. So every time you think something goes wrong or you make a bad decision, you think God is going to now harm you. We call it punishment. It's crazy. It's just crazy. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. The theological term for this is deliverance. Right, Deliverance this is one of the big, the big words in the Bible. Um, this is what happens when God frees us from our slaves. We have been delivered. Jesus was called the deliverer. Moses, the deliverer, he delivered the people from slavery into freedom. Now again, it, it sounds scary, it sounds dramatic, it sounds like some kind of big kind of deal. And usually though, um, it's a little bit more subtle, a little bit more gradual, the way God works in our lives. Um, we, we like to think, you know, I've got this issue, I've got this habit, I've got this addiction, I've got this whatever. And what would be really, 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 really great, if I drummed up enough faith and I prayed just the right prayer and bam, done. No more struggles. Can, can somebody say that's been a prayer of yours? Be honest. Like, just Lord, man, just... I want a healing miracle. Just make it go away. I've heard people do this. I've heard it happens to other people. My mom was one of them. I don't know if she prayed, but she tells me that she was pregnant with me, took a hit, and she was going to throw up, and that's when she stopped smoking. And it was an amazing thing. I don't know what God had to do with it, but some people get that instant bam boom and we all pray for that right we all we all want maybe like a scene out of the exorcist minus like the backwards crab walk like just something spectacular right and everybody will be amazing god will be glorified and you won't have to struggle anymore doesn't god want that so lord give me a miracle make something amazing happen make everybody in the room go whoa and god's like um no we're, we're gonna walk together me and you and we're gonna work this out just me and you we're just going to leave everybody out of it for just, for just a little bit. We want the spectacular method, but more often than not, this is God's plan, right? He asks us to face the painful scars of our past and he invites us, invites him to heal us. That's the more, if you look at life, if you look at friends, if you look at family, if you look at people, this is really the way God likes to operate, Um, The whole spectacular, all that kind of stuff. I kind of get the impression that that God and Jesus kind of had that out in the wilderness, right? There were spectacular things that Jesus could have done. And God said, that's not the way I'm going to do things. I'm going to do things in a quiet, steady manner. I'm going to transform lives. Transform, that takes time. I'm not going to invent people. I'm not going to snap you. we're asked to take responsibility for our habits past present and future and chances are you know exactly what i'm talking about it's that thing that shows up every year on your new year's resolution it's always in your prayers it's been in your prayers for years now the secret that maybe you're afraid to let people know about because you have struggled with it for so so long Um, It's the place where you most need freedom. And for every single one of us in this room, it's going to be a different... Okay, we're all going to be freed from being prisoners in in different fashions. Freedom is the key part of the mission of Christ. I don't know if you're aware of this. To live and to die and to raise again, to defeat the enemy once and for all. In one of his first public acts, he says this. This is in... um, prophet isaiah he this is in the book of luke but he's quoting from the prophet isaiah he stood up in a synagogue kind of like this everybody just you know coming in on a saturday the spirit of the lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recover sight for the blind to set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the lord's favor christ came to preach the good news that God loves us and he wants to be together. But that's only that's the first step. The next step is to live fully in this incredible new, this spiritual realm that he has put us in of, of, of spiritual freedom. We, we've been free to do what he has equipped us to do. Now, here's the interesting part. Again, we're not... We, we 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 I think sometimes we maybe over spiritualized and we think somehow Satan has us wrapped up and bound in like supernatural chains and it's going to take like an exorcism and you're going to have to call a Roman Catholic priest in Protestant they don't know what they're doing right they call the Roman Catholic guy in you know with the with the holy water and all that stuff and and the fact of the matter is most of us really aren't that tightly bound by Satan you know how we're bound. We're bound by lies that we have chosen to believe. There's no chains. There's nothing about it. We have chosen to believe the lies of the liar. We think there's nothing that we can do to change, and that's correct, we can't, but our God can. But we have to accept his methods. Right? As much as we want the bam, big spectacular healing, that's not normally the way God works. He's just quiet, methodical. We all want that miracle healing. And if you want that, take that next step in your spiritual walk, your spiritual journey. You have to listen to God's words and listen to his plan of attack. Here's his plan of attack. Check this out. This is in Second Corinthians chapter 10. It says, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. How does the world wage war? Power with reputation, with money. And during this time in in ancient Israel, Palestine, uh, assassins, Zalots, um, murder. These were all ways that some of the Israelites were thinking, we're going to bring about God's plan, but we're going to use the weapons of the world. So you understand the weapons of the world, right? Fame, money, reputation, murder, theft. All weapons based on the lie that they'll prevail. If we do these things, we will get what we want. But on the contrary, the weapons we use have divine power to demolish those lies. They have the divine power to demolish strongholds. And that's exactly what a stronghold is. It's a lie. Check this out. I'm not going to give you the Greek word, but I'm going to give you the Greek meaning, the whole meaning of that word stronghold. It's a prisoner locked up by deception. See, there's no chains. There's no chains. It's just you're living a life by a lie. That's it. Nobody's forcing you to do this. You have chosen to believe the lie of the liar. And here's the incredible thing. We're the ones with the authority given to us by the power of Christ Jesus and the Spirit indwells within us. Satan wants you to believe that he's got authority. He's got only the power that you give him. He's got only the power that you rehearse his lines in your life. He has no authority. He only has power that you give him. We have the authority. Christ has all authority. He's been given all authority, and he's given all that authority to us by the power of his spirit. We're the ones with the authority, but we don't own and we don't exercise that authority, right? We just think, no, oh, oh, that's for the holy people. That's for the pastor to mess with. I'm just, you know, a lay person, right? Instead, this is it, and I I, I mentioned this earlier, we believe a lie and we empower the liar. We start saying things like, I'll never be able to stop this. Maybe you've said that. I'll always be powerless when it comes to this. And I don't know what your this is. And soon the stronghold, the lie, we've got to make sure the stronghold, we understand what a stronghold is, it's a lie, becomes part of our identity. It actually becomes part of us. It's not external to us, it becomes us. And we reduce ourselves to thinking things like, I am this, right? I am an alcoholic, I'm an addict, I'm a liar, I'm a cheat, I'm a failure. And I will always fail. Right? Attributes become our personhood. Eventually, as we believe the lie told by the liar. And soon his lies are so ingrained, we begin to make excuses. Justifying giving in to the temptation over and over again. And again, this is exactly where Satan wants you. Distracted from your God-given purpose and the power that you've been given. Now, here's the kicker. The power that you've been given... It's the exact opposite of the world's power. So you understand from that Second Corinthians power, we're using two sets of weapons, right? You, you got that real clear picture. The world is using the weapons at its disposal: power, money, fame, murder, theft, lying, cheating, all that, believing that that will get them what they want. But we've got other weapons. We've got love and grace and faith and truth, and forgiveness. Jesus made the same comparison. You've all known this verse. This is a, I'm going to show you John 10 10, right? The thief comes to kill and so destroy, but I come to give life and give life abundantly. But how many how often do you look at the verse right before it? Because that's where, the, that's where the real power, that's where verse 10 gets its power, is verse 9. Watch this. In verse 9, Jesus says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved, and they will come in and they will go out and they will find pastor. Now, understand something about that coming in and going out. You look throughout the Old Testament, and it's in hundreds of places. It's the Israelite way, the Jewish way of describing a man who whose life is in perfect order. His relationships are good. He has no enemies. Nobody's out to get him. Everybody loves him. He loves everybody. His government is at peace. He can go about his business. He is free to do as he chooses. He has no worries, no anxieties, no fears in his life. This is the man who can come and go. Christ said, "If you live your life according to my way, this will be your life. You will have no worries. You can come and go." No worries whatsoever. No stress. Everything is being taken care of. You have absolute freedom to do whatever you choose. You're not forced to do what you have to do. You're free to do what you want to do. This is the life that Christ describes for us. I'm the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and they will go out and they will find pasture. In contrast, now this is where people get confused. A lot of people looked at this and, and, and we can go with that. The thief isn't Satan. Hate to tell you that. Right? A lot of you have read that. i in a roundabout way it is Satan because every person who does evil is under the influence of Satan so we can say that the thief is Satan working through but in this time understand something Jesus was talking about there had been a whole bunch of people come along again the zealots there were false messiahs there were all sorts of people coming along to God's people and saying hey this is the way we're going to fix things God has sent us to you we are your God appointed leaders and here's the methods that we're going to be using And Jesus is saying, no, don't listen to the liars. Don't, they're they're thieves. Don't listen to them. The thief only comes to steal and kill and destroy. There have been men who have claimed to be leaders, but they're all liars. They believe that money and reputation and murder and theft and war, which are the lies of the evil one, strongholds, that was the way to lead to Christ. That's where you would come close to God. But my way says I come that they may have life and have it to the full. My way is the way of peace and love and life. My way will bring you closer, not further from God. So what kind of weapons do we use against lies? What kind of weapons do you use against a lie? Nice. I like that. Paul tells us in the very next verse. Very good. Love it. We demolish strongholds. We demolish lies. Y'all going with me on this? We demolish arguments and every pretense. Y'all know Beth Moore, right? Anybody heard of Beth Moore? She loves, I love this. Strongholds are anything that exalts itself in our minds pretending to be bigger and more powerful than our God. That sets itself up against the knowledge of God. That's exactly what she's talking about, right? Anything that pretending to be bigger and more powerful than God. In other words, we demolish the lies. We demolish the stories that the evil one wants you repeating in your mind over and over again, telling those stories by taking captive. Here's the method that he uses. By taking captive our thought life and making it obedient to God, telling true stories of forgiveness and grace and mercy that eventually drowned out the lies of the liar. In other words, the world's power is based on the lies of a liar lies that enslave us but we don't have to stand by and do nothing we have the authority not the enemy of our souls this is how we fight lies right hit that next slide there our power is based on the truth truth sets us free that's our goal this morning i've given you the why in a moment we're going to spend some time in prayer we're going to be singing praises to our savior and i want you thinking and praying Will I take the step that Jerry's gonna present next? Do I want Do I want the truth? Do I want to be set free? And if you've been praying for that miracle healing, maybe it'll happen. I would suggest to you keep praying for it. But understand that God might work in a different method and you're gonna have to be okay with that. And it might be a slow, methodical you facing up to the people you've hurt, you facing up to the lies that you've believed and rejecting them by action, by something that you do in your life. I want to close before we take a break, sing some songs. I'm going to come back and give you some powerful tools. Um, but this, this, this is from Luke chapter 11. This, I want us to be our prayer as we prepare um, to hear a little bit more from God. It says, When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own house, his possessions are safe. This is the mind of somebody who has decided, um, I can handle this battle that I've been facing. I can do it alone. I don't need to tell anybody. Y'all don't need to know my secret. I, I can do this. I've got the tool. I, I, I can do this. And I ask, I ask you, how's that working out for you? Do you have this mindset He continues, but when someone stronger attacks and overpowers him, he takes away the armor in which the man trusted and divides up his plunder. Are you trusting in your armor and your weapons, the weapons of the world, your possessions? Or have you decided maybe this morning you're going to trust the weapons of God and you're going to face this morning some of the lies that you've been living out? You know they're a lie and yet every day you fall to it. Like, I'm powerless. I'm powerless. God's word is here to tell you this morning, you're not powerless. And the answer is amazingly simple. It's, it's amazing. You're, gonna, you're just gonna love this. So I'm gonna pray for just a moment. Our, our worship band is gonna come back up. We're gonna sing a few more praises and I'm gonna come back and I'm gonna give you God's amazing answer. The weapons that you get to use. Would you bow your heads for just a moment? Father God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for Luke and, and Matthew and, and John and Mark that faithfully recorded what you, what you said, what you were teaching And Father, this morning as we, each one of us faces the the issue, whatever that issue is, whatever's holding us back from what you want us to have, whatever's holding us back from the life that you have already determined will be the greatest joy in our life and we just simply have to experience it, but we are holding ourselves back because we don't believe that you're that good. Father, this morning, by the power of your spirit, shower us with love, Convince us that you do want the very best for us. Even though we might not understand that best and we might have different views now, Lord, give us faith that you know better. Help us to be humble. We don't know. Father, thank you so much. for being honest in your word. There's no hoodoo, no magic, no anything like that. It's just all very real. It's all about love. Father, it's all about listening to your spirit. So Father, this morning, rain down your Holy Spirit on us. Open our minds and our hearts to what you would see us do in the weeks to come. Thank you for what you're gonna reveal to people this morning, Father, through your word. Be with us as we continue to sing praises to you, Father. Thank you. your son's and I pray. Amen. Have you ever met somebody you wish you'd never met? No, no, go ahead. Raise your hand. Have you ever met somebody you wished you'd never met? Or maybe you wish that your son or daughter had never met, okay? Bunch more hands ought to go up at that one. Or maybe, 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 maybe you wish your spouse had never met. Right? They got a buddy or they've got, you know, that just wrecks everything all all the time. Very counterintuitive, kind of a strange phenomenon. Um, but the folks we've met usually lead to our greatest regret. Right? You think about it. My guess is the stupidest thing you ever did, you weren't alone. Or maybe when you did it, you were alone. But somebody, a friend, <laughs> talked you into it. And they said, boy, this will be fun. This will be amazing. You said, okay right? Because you're not that bright anyway. And you're like, whoa! And it didn't turn out that way, right? And you think, wow, you know, I wish I'd never even met the person, right? They're just, they're a a wreck. (laughs) Now, here's the deal. Um, These folks that we hang out with, they're not your enemies, right? They're probably your friends. They're not hostile to you, right? Normally we're on guard when we're around people who don't like us, right? I mean, that makes sense. We're not really on guard when we're around our friends. We just kind of let our guards down when we're around our friends. Um, So what I want to do today, I want to talk about our friends and associates. Friends and associates. Friends you choose, you're aware of this. Associates' life chooses for you. They're in the cubicle next to you, right? They're down the hall from you. They're your neighbor, um, whatever. They're not really your friend. You've decided, uh, no, that that, that that person's not going to go in that category. They're going to remain in the associates' category, right? And so you might be thinking, so why are we talking about my friends? This is m- my issue, my, my sin, my, my problem that you introduced this morning, Pastor Jerry. Why, why are we now talking about... Um, my friends. Sounds like you're gonna be blaming my friends like victimhood. It, or, or, or maybe, um, maybe we're, you're, you're gonna be judgmental, right? We're gonna be talking about friends, right? But here's the deal. I don't think it's judgmental, right? You're thinking these are all my longtime friends he's talking about again, you're gonna see it's not about being judgmental. It's really about good judgment. There's a difference between being judgmental and using good judgment. Hit that next slide there, good judgment. Judgmental is me forming an opinion about you. That's being judgmental. What you should stop doing and what you should start doing with me as your judge. Judgmental is me not liking your behavior and expecting you to change. But good judgment is about me. Good judgment is about what I can change about my behavior. And here's a great way to use good judgment with your friends. Just, just if you're, you're in that situation where you kind of got to be, this is just a freebie here. Um, you're in that kind of a situation where you desperately want to say no because you know it's a bad choice, but you don't want to insult your friend. Um, this is something, I, again, I, I give this to teens, and this is just kind of helpful. Hit that next slide there. Um, in light of my past experience, and you can say this to people. You don't need to say it exactly like this, but this is kind of the gist of it. In light of my past experience, in light of my current circumstances, in light of my future hopes and dreams, I can't join you on that. Nothing against what you're doing. It sounds like you're going to have a lot of fun, but, but if I do that, I'm not going to get what I want in life, so I, I got to decline, right? I, I, I got to decline. And, and again, you, you don't repeat this kind of thing, but, but there's the gist. That, that's the idea. You can talk to people and say, and you can be honest with them, look, I, I'm following Jesus Christ in my life, and that's going to be a problem. I, I, I'm not being judgmental. It's not about you. It's about me. I, I can't do that. You can do that. I can't do that. Now, you might say, you know, I can't handle that. I'm not emotionally ready for that. I'm not physically strong enough to handle that. I mean, that's above my pay grade. I mean, you can say anything you want. Um, but let's look at it at a different angle. If your parents, okay, y'all, y'all had parents. If your parents or your guardians or whatever, if they use good judgment... They were probably paranoid, right? More than likely, they were paranoid. Seemed like maybe they were overly involved in your business. Hit that next slide there, paranoid. Seemed like they, maybe they were overly involved in your business, right? Allowing and disallowing certain friendships, certain places, and maybe you deserved it. No? Or maybe they were just being paranoid. Uh, maybe you were the one that... Anyone ever have your door taken away? We were that close to one of our daughters. We almost... Took the door off the hinges. Maybe things were even more crazy for you. Maybe your folks like hauled you off to grandma's house, moved you out of state, you know, pack up kids, we're moving to Mongolia because junior's a mess. <laughs> and anyway, you ever hear stories like that? Maybe, maybe you got moved to grandma's house because mom and dad thought, I gotta get the kid out of the neighborhood, you know, gotta, gotta get him somewhere else. Um, Again, maybe things were, were way, way crazy for, and, and again, you're, you're thinking, well, you're being so judgmental, right? You're, you're just being paranoid. But now that you're an adult with kids of your own, my guess is you're paranoider. <laughs> you're even more paranoid now that you've got kids because you remember what you were like in junior high and high school. You know, and you're thinking back, like when I asked that question, you know, think back to that person that you wish you'd never met, you know, some of you went to the direction of, yeah, I'm I'm amazed I'm still alive with the friends I hung out, and some of you went that strange direction, I'm afraid, I'm I'm amazed my friends are still alive because they hung out with me. Yeah, I don't know who the the, the problem was in your circle of friends, but somebody's thinking, man, I wish I'd never met that person, because they have dragged me down, they have dragged me down so, so bad. Now, um... You have something over your parents, though. <laughs> you have social media, right? You, you, can, you can stalk your friends of your kids, right? Is that being nosy? <sighs> no, it's being, it's being a good parent, right? You, that, that's, all, that's all good and fine, right? Um, there's a relationship, and you, you guys are all aware of this. There's a relationship between who your kids hang out with and what they do or what they don't do, and that's true for you also. I mean, we were, we're well aware of this. Right, Big advantage over your parents. So again, we can watch what our kids are doing, but they couldn't watch what we were doing. Now, um, your kids, your kids' friends and your friends, they heavily determine the direction and the quality of your life. Right, and The things that make friendships so powerful is also the things that makes them so incredibly dangerous, and that's proximity. They're the ones right next to you. Right, they're, they're living life with you. And, and here's what happens. When we're with our friends, we drop our guards because we don't believe that they're trying to harm us. right? And so we, we kind of get tired of keeping our guard up. It's kind of tiresome. Um, so we let our guards down around our friends. And around some groups of people, that's okay. But around some groups of your friends, you know you can't let your guard down. And you, you know who those friends are. Right? You've got to be really careful around them. Now, an interesting article in all this, a neuroscientist from Northwest University. He was studying the connection between your personal relationships and the choices you make. Okay? Your personal relationships and the choices you make. And here's what he writes. The more we study engagement, we see time and time again that just being next to certain people actually aligns your brain with them. Just by being next to them, before any behavior or attitude change, our brain waves begin to sync. So, this neuroscientist claims in his study. Turns out our brains are making decisions for us without our consent. I mean, it's doing stuff and we're not even aware that it's doing it. And both this is kind of encouraging and it's also incredibly discouraging, right? Look to your left and to your right. Unwise or wise? Right? Now, You're thinking of them, I'm asking them to think of you, right? You're the person, yeah, the person next to you just now scooted down a little bit. Yeah, you know which person you are now, right? And then he says this, this this doctor, says, if people want to maximize happiness and minimize stress, they should surround themselves with people who embody the traits they prefer. He continues, over time, they'll naturally pick up those desirable attitudes and behaviors. But the opposite is true as well. You'll also pick up undesirable attitudes, and behaviors. Lining up your life with other lives going in the same direction is just wise. Now, is that being judgmental? Or is it using just good judgment? And if this is true, how should we respond? I mean, this is about your future, your hopes, and your dreams. 3,000 years ago, a guy named Solomon... Right? You heard him, King Solomon, rich guy, really, really smart guy, apparently. Um, discovered the very same thing without the aid of the modern neuroscience. He writes this in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20 He says, Walk with the wise and become wise. Now, here's the kicker for this. You don't need to study. You don't need to work extra hard. Just by walking with the wise, you become wiser. You don't even have to try. <laughs> That's pretty cool, Pastor Jerry. Yeah, it really is. No study, no taking notes, no books to read. You just hang out with wise people like it's automatic. They rub off on you. But Solomon continues with the opposite truth. Listen to this. Walk with the wise and become wise for a companion of fools suffers harm. Now, in Hebrew culture, a fool is not somebody who's short on knowledge. It's not somebody who's not bright. It's somebody who can be very, 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 very wise, but they look at life and have decided that today is all that matters. That's the fool. The fool looks at the future and says, ah, there's no consequences. There's no God. I'll live the way I want to live. That's the fool. And they can be very, very smart. They can be very, very dumb. It's not a matter of intelligence. It's a matter of what do you do with the knowledge you have at your disposal? Do you believe the lie or do you believe the truth? The fool believes the lie. The fool simply ignores what he knew to be true. But the interesting thing is what Solomon adds... It's worse than simply becoming a fool. For a company of fools suffers harm. Listen, if you hang out with a fool, you can be the brightest person in the world, but there's going to be collateral damage. (laughs) You're going to get caught in the crossfire. Does that make sense? Just as the right people lift us up, the wrong people do us active harm. And again, you can say, but they're my friends. I've known them since second grade, but they are doing you active harm. And you have to make some decisions. And again, you're thinking, they're they're my closest friend. That is a tough one. That's why it's sometimes foolish, dangerous to hang out where places of foolishness happen. Right? You can be the brightest person in the world and you're not going to make a bad decision. But you know what? The person next to you making a bad decision, you get the fallout. And you might be thinking, but I would never, and I would never. To which the writer of this research probably wrote, uh, but you eventually will don't we all think that i'll never do that i'll never do that i would never do that you hang out with certain people i promise you you eventually will slowly your resolve as they continue to talk lies your resolve slowly crumbles and you begin to believe the lie and it begins to make sense it begins to sound really reasonable Solomon says, friends who aren't careful with their lives won't be careful with your life. I know the kids aren't going to get this, but you, your mom and dad, this makes total sense. Their health, their marriages, their finances, their reputation, their lack of faith, their lackadaisical attitude toward life itself will harm your future. If they don't care, they're not going to care about you either if they don't care about the future they're not going to care about your future because they've already decided the future is not a point worth discussing if they're liars and cheats and drunks and hucksters they're going to want you to be the same because nobody wants to be that by themselves nobody wants to do crazy things by themselves no you always get your friend to go with you give you courage to do your stupid stuff right y'all know what i'm talking about come on now Physical danger is one thing, but we're here in church. We want to talk about some spiritual danger and not only spiritual, physical danger, but there's also incredible spiritual danger. When we're hanging out with the wrong people, everything that we've said about physical health and harm is also true about your spiritual health and harm. This is in first Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33, basically Paul kind of repeats what Solomon said, kind of the same thing. Don't be misled, bad company corrupts good character. Sounds pretty much like the same thing that he's saying in Proverbs 13, but there's a powerful spiritual twist now. Our faith in God is at risk. Not only our, our physical safety, but our faith in God is at risk when we hang out with the wrong people. You're like, oh, come on. I know your kids are thinking the same thing when you tell them don't hang out with that person. They're not a follower of Jesus Christ. Don't date them. Don't think you're gonna win them over to Christ. They're gonna drag you in the opposite direction if you wanna go. And you're thinking, oh, stop it, mom. Oh, dad, you're just being over, you're just being paranoid, right? Wait till they grow up and they will become more paranoid, I promise you, right? Now, how can how can we how can we be risking our faith by hanging out with the wrong people? I'm going to read the verses that precede verse 33, two verses right before it, and then we land on verse 33. I'm going to start on verse 30. Listen to this. This is Paul talking to the city of Corinth, the Christians in the city of Corinth. It says, "Ask for us. Why do we endanger ourselves every hour? This is a good question. Why do we endanger ourselves every hour? I face death every day." And if I fought wild beasts in Ephesus with no more than human hopes, what have I gained? He continues, verse 32. If the dead are not raised, if there is no resurrection, if what Jesus Christ said is not true, if He's a liar or he's a lunatic, okay, those are the other options, or he's telling the truth. Those are the only three options we have. If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. So, why does Paul place himself in danger for the sake of others, right? It's because what we do matters. You've been saved for a purpose. You weren't just saved to go to heaven, you were saved to help Christ redeem the entire world. So, the fact that you're saved isn't the end of the, the equation. He wants to now transform you and make you into a valuable tool to help him transform, redeem the world. I do these things because I know that this life isn't the final say. If this life were it, if the dead are not raised, let's go to the beach and have some fun. Forget everybody else because, oh, we're all gonna all going to die and it's game over. Why bother? The message version puts it like this. I love this. It's resurrection, resurrection, always resurrection. That's what undergirds what I say, what I do, the way I live. Now, what do you think would happen if you hung out with somebody that was like that? Tell me about your faith. Up, down, down. You hang out with Paul and you're going to have a faith in about a week, right? If you've been fighting it, you're only going to last for about a week. Paul will wear you down, right? Just with his positive talk, he's always talking about the resurrection, how incredible it's going to be. Pretty soon, you're going to believe it. Pretty soon, that's going to drown out the lies of the liar that says that you're not worthy, that you can't be forgiven, that you've made too big of a mess of everything. God has, he doesn't have a plan for you. There's no vision for you. You're ah, not at all. You hang out with somebody like Paul, it will change the way you think. It's one thing to hear about somebody's faith, it's another story entirely to have to live side-by-side side, somebody. Maybe you've lived side-by-side lived side, somebody and you could probably right now stand up and say, yeah, I used to hang out with this person, but tell you what, I became a different person. Just by hanging out with them, they, they transformed my life. Everything changed. Again, Paul insists that the Corinthians must not associate with people who say that the resurrection isn't true. Because it will affect your life. People who don't believe that there's a future will live their life as if there is no future. And you will begin to live that life too. In other words, whoever believes that this is the only way, the only world, I mean, whoever believes that this is the only world tends to live as if the things of this world are all that matter. Here's the conclusion from the message in verse 33. I love this. Don't fool yourselves. Don't let yourselves be poisoned by all this anti-resurrection loose talk. We can be intentional. This church has classes before we meet here. Right? 9.15 every morning. We have small groups that meet in homes. We have another group that's starting up this week on a Tuesday night. Kay and Kathy Coughlin. That's the purpose of these groups, is that you get together beside one another and you build one another up. See, in this Sunday morning gathering, we don't have a lot of chance to talk to one another. Y'all got to sit and listen to me. But when you get into a classroom or a small group, you get to know one another. You get to be intentional. We can be intentional and place ourselves in a position to experience a providential relationship, but we have to lean into the tools that we've been given. In this church, we've given you some tools and we're encouraging you. Be a part of a smaller group. If it's a Sunday school class, fantastic. If you're not a part of any group, invite a bunch of people. Invite your neighbors over to your house. Get to know them. Find out their hurts and their needs and what their life is like and you're going to be responding to them also now a lot of you are thinking um i've got a lot of friends you know i've grown up in the church i don't really need a small group i listen to god all the time i watch tv preachers i don't bother with jerry you know i mean i listen to the pros and i've I've got it pastor i don't need a small group just let me ask you this the people in this room do they need your faith See, we're the body. Paul said that we do need each other. You can go it alone, and maybe you can make it alone. More power to you, but there's a lot of us that we can't make it alone, and we need your help. We need you to decide, yeah, I'll give up an evening a week. I'll give up a little early morning on a Sunday, and I'll be, goal, I'll, I'll be a part of a smaller group of people, and I will intentionally invest in them, and I will get to know them, and they will get to know me. Because it's important. It's like investing in your retirement putting in a little bit of money every month into that future. Because there will come a day, and it's happened a lot of times, when something bad happens in your life and nobody knows. Nobody knows. Because you have made a conscious decision not to be known. I got it all figured out, Pastor. I don't need small groups. I don't need a class. I don't need anybody else. Me and God. And then you have a hard time. And the fact of the matter is, God, I don't know why... But he chooses to build our faith through each other. I know we want the big, whoosh, the big bang, the big spectacular, but that's just not the way he works. It's not the way he works. I want to finish. He uses human relations to impact our faith in him. Again, this is a step you have to take. This isn't a belief. This is actually one of those things where you got to do something. You can't believe in small groups without being a part of a small group. So I wanna challenge every single person in this room. If you're not a part of a Sunday morning class, that's good. That's fantastic. If you're not, find a small group that meets during the week. Check in your bulletin, there's a whole bunch of them. You have to make a decision. I'm not gonna do well by myself. I mean, that was in page one of the Bible. It's not good for you to do this alone. And he's not just talking about your wife or your husband. You need all the body, the body Bow your heads. Father, I don't know what it is that stops us from being a part of smaller groups. Time, I, I, I don't know. Um, fear, not wanting to share feelings. I understand all this, Father, but your word makes it really clear. If we go this thing alone, we're, gonna do, we're, we're just gonna struggle unnecessarily we're not going to enjoy the abundant life and if we're not being told stories constantly about your goodness and your forgiveness and your mercy and grace then the the lies of the liar get louder and louder so father by the power of your spirit working through this body that our voice would be so loud that the voice of the liar would be drowned out in truth Father, I pray for every person in this room this morning that they would accept this truth and step into it and make that decision to be a part of a smaller group of people. Risky, scary, but so important. Father, thank you for sharing all this with us. Thank you for the fact that your your son had a small group and they changed the world. And we're still doing it. Thank you, Father, for the power of your spirit that gives us the power to continue what the disciples were doing, redeeming the world. Thank you for asking us to partner with us, Jesus. And we give you all the glory and the honor. In your name we pray, amen. Folks, have a wonderful week. Thank you so much. We'll see you here next week.